The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I cannot feel at home in this world
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. You will not be able to enter in to the kingdom of God if there has not been a deep inner call of your spirit that removes all casualness, all self-righteousness, that humbles your heart and causes you to zealously pursue our Lord Jesus. There will be no casual entrance into the kingdom of heaven. There will be no self-righteous entry into the kingdom of heaven. In the story of Elijah, there is an incident I want to highlight for you today. The Lord came to Elijah in a, a gentle whisper. Now, before we go further, let's pray. Lord, I know that everything in this world, the flesh and the devil, stands in total opposition to what I'm about to say and I am incapable of speaking this message without the quickening power and presence of your Holy Spirit. I know the battle is on for eternity. I see a raid against the Christian church, every conceivable enemy, every condemnation, every accusation, and we in America want to be loved. We want to please. And so we've compromised with the world to get what we wanted. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Lord, I know the battle is now in full sway for who will enter on that great day. Lord, I pray that every person listening to this broadcast today will hear and understand the word you want to speak to their hearts. I pray in your mighty name, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you have shed abroad, quicken us now, Jesus, by your Spirit, by your blood pray in your holy name. Amen. 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. God does not come in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. He comes in a still, small voice. He comes in a gentle whisper. Now, Elijah has spent enough time in the desert. He spent enough time by the brook Cherith. 
He spent enough time in the prayer closet to have his heart quieted before Almighty God. Our heart does not quiet because we tell it to be quiet. Our heart will only quiet as we fast and pray and wait before the Lord and make him a top priority in our heart and in our life. Sometimes I've said it this way. You must waste time with Jesus. What do I mean? I mean the world will look at your behavior and your activity and say that is useless activity. It is a waste of time. And the devil will whisper that in your ear. No time spent with Jesus is wasted time. There must come from deep within us a cry for the deep of God. Elijah pulls his cloak over his face. He knows this, this Lord. He knows the voice. The word of the Lord has come many times to him. And now he has come in utter despair. He's come in an utter end of himself. And now he must have a new revelation of who this God is. He must be empowered by this God. If he's going to go any further, he finally just said, look, let me die. Instead of letting him die, the Lord fed him and watered him, ordered his steps A new revelation is coming. The voice says to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answers, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord says to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. I want you to notice something here. We Americans are so desirous of a pat on the head. We're so desirous on good job. I'm very concerned for parents who are always saying to their children, good job. Because then we begin to expect that from everybody in our life. God does not come and say, good job, Elijah. Look what you did at Mount Carmel. I'm proud of you. No, Elijah is a grown man. There's no self-pity even though it appears to be self-pity a few minutes earlier as he's giving his rent. But he's being honest. He has served God in every way possible. He doesn't know what to do now. And he's saying, look, I'm no better than my ancestors. They didn't pull it together, and I can't either. I don't have the strength or the power. And God acknowledges he doesn't have that strength or power. So God comes and meets him and says, 
Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And there he gives him very specific direction. In those directions, anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. He's asked if he could go home. And God is essentially saying, yes, Elijah, I'm going to take you home. But not yet. You still have work to do. In fact, he has 20 more years of work on this earth before he's met by the taxi of heaven and taken into the heavenlies with the chariots of fire. The Lord only says one thing to him that I have to smile as I read it. It's so much like the Lord. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah, don't think you're the only one. You're not alone. I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Seven being the perfect number. Now, what I want you to hear today begins in 1 Kings 19, verse 19. 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? This is a strange exchange. Now, I don't know if he left his cloak around Elisha. It does not say. We know that much later he will receive the cloak of Elisha and with it a double portion. Elisha runs after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? You would think that Elisha making this request would be answered by Elijah. Okay, I'll meet you at such and such a place. Or, as Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and you leave, you're not worthy. If you turn back, you're not worthy. Or Jesus said, The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And those who came to follow him, they didn't follow. The rich young man who came and fell at Jesus' knees, fell at his feet on his knees. What must I do to have eternal life? So Jesus tests him in the law, and he's very sure he's perfect. And Jesus tells him, now go sell all that you have and come and follow me. 
he was invited to be a disciple of Jesus. Can you imagine the price this man paid for not following Jesus? He didn't rightly discern the cost of his love of money and his love of the world and of his culture, the love of his religion. He didn't rightly measure the cost and the benefit of being called as a disciple to Jesus. Elijah says, go back. What have I done to you? Now, I want to try to talk about this. Elijah does not beg this man to come. He doesn't say to him, Look, I was at the Mount of God, and God himself spoke to me and told me to come and find you and to to call you to be my assistant. Now, will you come or won't you come? Elijah didn't do that. Do you know why? When the call of God comes to a man or woman, there must be a deep inner knowing. There must be a deep spirit response to that call. And part of what we're facing today is that most who call themselves Christians have never had that deep inner call by the Holy Spirit because they couldn't hear him. The noise of the life drowns out the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come with thunder and lightning. He doesn't come with wind. He doesn't come with fire. He doesn't come with an earthquake. He comes in a still small voice. And if you're so filled with your worldliness, if you're so filled with the lust of your heart and the pride of your life, you will never hear the deep of your heart call out for Jesus. And most of you who were baptized, who are members of the church today, are still utterly casual before God. You've never truly repented. Oh, you have had some small experience, some perhaps even emotional experience. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a deep inner call of the Holy Spirit that you hear and you respond to with weeping. You respond to it with laying on the floor on your face before Almighty God. You respond to that call by repenting. You respond to that call by letting your life be utterly transformed, utterly changed. You become a different person. So many of you are trying to figure out what is this gospel of Jesus? I sympathize with you. I have been spending much of my time in my life trying to figure out the gospel of Jesus. I have heard such incredibly dishonest things about what the gospel is. I've been so utterly confused by church culture. 
almost nothing of what is taught in the church in America is truly biblically based. It is shallow. It is human-centered, not Jesus-centered. It is It is flesh-centered. It is name-it-and-claim-it-centered. And we think we can even reach out and find the Holy Spirit with our flesh. Oh, we want gold to fall from the ceiling. Stop it. We want to have people falling down. What foolishness. That's not what God is calling for today. He's calling for righteousness, for rectitude, for a deep inner sense of the presence of God where we begin to be totally transformed and changed. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have passion. We have zealous concern. There's no expense too great. We hear about a brother or a sister who has a need. We pour our heart out even at our own very expense to take care of that brother or sister. If God is not being reflected in the way you care for for your brothers and sisters, if God is not being reflected in how you humble your heart before him and before others, if God is not being reflected in the attitude of your heart, if God is not being reflected in your humility and your selflessness, you have not even begun to know Jesus. If you're full of self-pity and anger and bitterness, you've not even begun to know who Jesus Christ is. You are not of his. You're of the world. It's very plain. Elijah says, Go back. What have I done? What have I done? In other words, there's nothing that I have done that will draw you to follow me. If you follow me, you're going to have hunger and heat. You'll probably be sleeping outdoors a good deal of the time. You're going to have people very angry with you. You're going to have to speak words that you don't want to speak. You're going to pour your life out to take care of the poor. You're going to pour your life out to take care of the broken and the hurting. You're going to call the rich to repent. What is it that would make Elijah Elisha want to follow Elijah? He dresses in not a fine suit. He dresses in camel hair. Scratchy. Hard to deal with. Go back. What have I done to you? I'm not asking you. I'm simply letting you know that the Almighty God has said there is a place open for you if you choose to respond. I want to tell you something today. There's a place in the heart of Jesus if you choose to respond. 
there is a place in the heart of Jesus if you choose to respond. But if you respond, it will cost you everything. Time, money, energy. Elisha left him and went back. He has given the word of God. There it is. That's what I'm doing on the radio. I am as disinterested, the word I guess would be disinterestedly, presented to you the gospel in the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And if this preaching does not call forth something out of the deep of your heart, you will be displeased by what you hear. There must be a deep calling to deep. There must be a a rising up of your spirit that says, look, I have to change. I can't continue to live this way. My primary interest is how to get ahead, how to handle my money, how to take care of my family. My primary interest is the entertainment I love. My primary interest is my life. If that's where you're at, you cannot follow Jesus. It would be impossible. You could be a part of the church. You can learn all kinds of intellectual understanding. You can name it. You can claim it. But you're a pagan spray-painted with Jesus. To follow Jesus will require a total change of the inner man, and that is only done by the supernatural power of a mighty God in response to that deep of your heart, of your spirit, calling out after Jesus. A dear friend has established in her home what she calls a war room. She goes there every night. Even if she's tired, she goes there every night because she wants to be with Jesus. And with joy and a smile, she said, I'm finding during the day I'm praying a lot more. And then I go to my my war room, and the presence of Jesus meets me. She's on very dangerous ground, because the more she seeks Jesus, the more like Jesus she will become. And the deeper she will be called to turn her back on the world, the flesh, and the devil until she will be of no worldly good. Oh, I pray I'm of no worldly good. I want to be only good for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want to be good for Almighty God by the power of the Spirit. What have I done to you? And Elisha goes back home. 
He takes his yoke of oxen and he slaughters them. He burns the plowing equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people. Do you think they were saying, are you insane? What are you doing? Do you know how much those plows cost? Do you know how much those oxen cost? And you're you're butchering them and we're having a feast out here? Meat on a stick? Roasted meat over an open fire? And then he sets out to follow Elijah. And he became his attendant. That is, he became his servant. It's later reported that he would pour the water for Elijah to wash his hands. He was a humble servant of Elijah. He was there to take care of the man of God, no matter what the personal cost was. And the day came when Elisha became the man of God. Now I want to share with you a couple of passages of Scripture. One passage that I I want to share with you is found over here in Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans, the sixth chapter. Begin with verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, what's it mean? If we chose out of the depths of our heart to die to this world, to our flesh, and to the devil, we've given up feeling sorry for ourselves. We have instead determined we will serve Jesus Christ. We will pour the water on on the hands of Jesus, by serving others. We believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives to God, you too are called to die to sin once and for all. If it continues in your life, You have not experienced this deep, deep spirit call, your spirit calling out to the Spirit of God. You have not yet seen your true, wicked, sinful condition before Almighty God. You are still consumed with the things of the world and the flesh. Paul says in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, it mean count yourselves it's an accounting term it means survey your life add up what your life is about add up the time you spend seeking your own flesh and your own will and your own way and your own pleasure add yourself up and see if you're dead to sin and if you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Fasting, praying, seeking his face, humbling your heart, 
giving up all bitterness, all anger, all self-pity, lifting holy hands in praise and worship unto the Lord and doing exactly what he guides you to do. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Oh, the modern church says sin will always reign in your body. You don't have the power to turn aside from it. That's not what the Apostle Paul says. It's not what the Word of God says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. If you do not have the ability in Jesus Christ to no longer let sin reign in your mortal body, you have not experienced what I'm talking about. I want to tell you today, very gently, there is a place, a quiet place, in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit wants you to go to that place. He wants you to turn your television off. He wants you to turn your entertainment off. He wants you to stop playing those video games. Why? Because they fill your life with noise and confusion and they trigger your feelings. And it makes you impossible to hear the still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to say this to you, but I'm going to try. My heart for many years was filled with fear of people. My heart was filled many years with an intense desire to just avoid conflict, please people, even if it meant there was no room in my life for me. And there were times in my life where I said to myself, there is no room in my life for me. My life is filled with the demands of everybody else that I'm trying so hard to please so they won't kill me. Some of you don't have those feelings. Instead, you have a a sword brandished at everybody and you're going to kill them if they don't please you and you're going to go after them if they if they say one thing you don't like, you're going to accuse them and attack them. I don't care which side of the coin you're on. Either side is the flip side of pride, arrogance, self-centeredness some of you are go 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 i'm going to get the money i'm going to do this i'm going to go here i'm going to go there i'm on my way i'm going to be a winner i'm somebody and i'm going to prove i'm somebody your life is so filled with noise you'll never hear the holy spirit speaking to you that way and frankly you cannot be saved without hearing the holy spirit in the still small voice dealing with your heart. But when you hear preaching like this today, there has to be an inner, deep response of your spirit telling your personality to shut up, to back off, that your spirit is in charge, not your personality. 
There must be a place where your spirit says, I must go after God. The old timers did this much better than we do because they didn't have all of the all of the toys. I mean, do you imagine how much time it took? My father used to talk about this with me. How much time it would take to go harness the horses and get the, the buggy out and hook it up just to go into town and how much time it took to go into town. It was a whole day affair for him from the ranch. Their time used to be taken up in work, farm work, washing, cleaning, gardening. As a boy, I was much put upon and felt like it was very unfair. But today I'm very grateful for that time where I walked in a field of corn with a hoe to hoe out the rows or beans, or tomatoes. I had my feet bare in the dirt, my hands in the dirt. And after a hot day of work in the sun, Dad would allow us, if we'd done a good job, to head to the river to go swimming, which is close by, the Shenango River. Beautiful, muddy old river. We'd go swimming with our inner tubes. Today's a very different kind of time where the devil has set up the computer and he's set up entertainment and movies and he's set up responsibilities so that there's no time just to get quiet before God. And some of you cannot stand quietness. It drives you crazy. You're going to have to get through that wall. And you're going to have to get in the scriptures. And I know at first you're going to go to sleep. Every time you open the Bible, you'll just go to sleep. That's what happened to me. I'd sit down and watch the television, and then I'd say, well, I'll take some time before I go to bed, and I'll read the scriptures. I'd sit down and start to read, and it would be like chunks of coal in my mouth. And I'd go to sleep. When I finally decided to get very serious about Jesus and desperate in my soul for him, I had to turn the TV off. I had to turn the movies off. I had to come into his presence and humble my heart and read the scripture standing up, walking, so I wouldn't go to sleep. And hear the word of God to my heart. And as I did that, hour after hour and day after day, one day I was reading. It's like the scriptures became a movie. They, they just came alive in my heart and my mind and the Holy Spirit began to talk to me and my spirit began to cry out to God. Now when I come in the prayer closet, it's not a struggle to be in the presence of God. 
as soon as I'm in the prayer closet, the presence of God is so powerfully present. Why? Because all through the day, I walk in his presence now. I never leave his presence. And I begin to read the word, and it comes alive. It's vibrant. It's vibrating. It's it's loud. I say, Jesus, thank you. There has to be that deep calling to the deep in your heart. Without that deep cry of your heart for Jesus, you can't be saved. But the devil has set up everything to block that deep place. One nurse. On the internet, she's called the Patriot Nurse. She's been at the night watches. Praying 12 to 3. 12 a.m. to 12 to 3 p.m. 3 a.m. Praying the night watch. And then Thursdays, she's invited everyone to fast with her and to pray. When I fast, my hunger opens for me even more my spirit so I can turn that physical hunger in hunger toward the Holy Spirit, toward Jesus, toward God. That's why I fast, because I'm zealous for God, for the Holy Spirit, for Jesus. Heaven is my home. I'm just a a wayfaring stranger here. Now this Romans passage says we are we are now crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Do you see there has to be a crucifixion? It's this crucifixion that takes place when the deep of our heart, the deep of our spirit, earnestly begins to seek after Jesus. I think if you're honest with me today, many of you listening will have to understand and agree that you've never had this deep inner cry for Jesus. You've had an interest. You've had a sentimental interest. You might have even called Jesus your best friend. But there's been no laying down of your life. There's been no sacrifice. There's been no dramatic change in your life and your behavior and your attitude. You're a Christian, but you're the same old wicked, evil person. And you know it, and you're trying to subdue that wickedness in your heart. But you can't do it. It can only be done by the presence of the blood of Jesus Christ. Anyone who has died, this is verse 7, Romans 6, verse 7, anyone who has died with Christ 
has been freed from sin. Now there's another passage of scripture I want to read for you. Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Let's put, let's put some meat on that. What does it mean? It means you no longer offer your body for money. You no longer offer your money for the world's pleasures. It means you don't give yourself to darkness. Instead, there is a deep inner cry of your heart. I must have Jesus. And I must be made holy. And I must be made righteous. I must walk in obedience to the commands of God. I can't walk in this worldly way anymore. There rises your spirit that meets the Holy Spirit and says, I can't walk this way. And repentance, confession begins to take place. And repentance begins to happen. And you begin to turn away from the wicked ways, the ways that have caused your mind to be calloused and hard. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Or more specifically, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this age. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To be transformed, the word is metamorphous. It means to appear as a new person with new habits, with new worship, with new service. A new person, a radical change through and through, complete change both outward and inward. This only comes not out of the personality, not out of the shallowness of our heart, This comes out of the Spirit of God rising up in us as we cry out to Him and say, Jesus, I've been so casual. I've been so vain, so hard-hearted. I've been so full of the world and the flesh and the devil. I've been angry. I've been cheating. I've been lying. I've been fornicating. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. Jesus, change me. The cigarettes have to go. The alcohol has to go. The drugs have to go. The the fornication has to go. The pornography has to go. We're called to be clean before God. He says... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, and in full agreement with God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship is not going to church and singing praise and worship songs. Pagans do that all the time. Your spiritual act of worship is not going to church. Your spiritual act of worship, according to the Apostle Paul, 
is no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but putting your body as a living sacrifice before a holy and righteous God, and saying, My time belongs to you. The money I have is all yours. I belong to you, Jesus. And now take possession of me and change me. I have to be transformed. Some of you got baptized, and all you did was baptize your flesh. All you did was say, I need to be changed. But you were never changed. You're the same old, same old. You don't understand the the wrath of God against sin. You don't understand the danger you are in because... You're a part-time Christian. You love the world and the things of the world. You love the entertainment, the clubs. You love the strip clubs, the cigars. You love the hip-hop music and all the other wicked rap. Your heart is filled with, with evil. It clings to you. But you have some sentimentality that says, I want to go to heaven. One man said to me, no, I really don't want to go to heaven for Jesus. I want to go to heaven so I can avoid hell. That's the only reason I want to go to heaven. I want to live. Well, he'll never get there. He'll never get to heaven that way. You don't get to heaven by trying to dodge hell. You get to heaven by going to Jesus and being utterly transformed and changed, reshaped, re-strategized, reformed, changed through and through. If you've never wept before the Lord, if you've never lain on your face in repentance and confession, if you've never come to terms with who you really are and laid aside the world and its lust, you're not a Christian yet. Some of you, you're really good church people, but you're really lousy Christians because you follow the church denomination and the rituals of the denomination but you don't follow Jesus because Jesus is going to a cross and you don't want to go to that cross. So you've been lied to, you've been told you're saved, but you still walk in your sin. What were you saved from? If you're not saved from your sin, what are you saved from? If you're not saved from your flesh, what are you saved from? if you read the rest of the 12th chapter of Romans. He says love in verse 9 must be sincere, not cracked, real. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. 
but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low positions. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. It is possible, so far as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. This is the normal life of the Christian. Oh, Lord. Would you cause every man and woman listening to dive deep and listen to their spirit and to respond to this message today? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. Write to me, please. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online. I love you, my brother, my sister. <laughs>